Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by a documentary director who started out as a college radio station manager. Coincidentally, if he wasn't intoxicated and came down Murdo Hall looking for someone to keep the college radio station on the line, I wouldn't be here. He's been a DJ, photographer, and now creating a documentary on college radio. We welcome director of 35,000 Watts, Mike Millard. Hello. Good to see you, Sean. I'm glad to be part of your origin story. (laughs) Mike, let's go beyond the mic. You're working on a Kickstarter campaign to create a documentary on college radio. Why is this project so important for you? You know, college radio for me, and I think probably for you and for a lot of people was that moment where like my life changed, where, you know, people tell you college is going to be like a life-changing experience. And as a whole it is, but it's, it's usually like an element of college, whatever it is that you're into that kind of like sparks something in you. And for me, that was college radio. For so many people that I've talked to, it was college radio. And I mean, it was about more than just being a broadcaster. Like you're, you're lucky enough to have this magnificent radio career, but not everybody did that after college radio. But the friends that you meet, the culture that you kind of establish for yourself, the music that you're into. We've talked to people who met their wife or their significant other, their husband. So it's more than just this kind of random thing that just, you know, people tune into a little bit. For the people that participate in college radio, uh, for a lot of them, it is their college radio experience. And it kind of surprised me that that story really hasn't been told, you know, in this kind of format. So it was exciting to take that opportunity and be like, you know what, I, maybe I can be the one to tell that story and, and let people know what kind of impact it had on people and on culture and on music. Now you've started to interview bands, station managers, people involved with college radio from around the country. How welcomed were you? I mean, did People just start telling stories. That's it. So, you know, there's different buckets of people, right? The buckets of people that were in college radio have been super enthusiastic. I mean, almost to a person there's, I can't even really think of a negative reaction. Everyone is just like, oh my God, that's a great idea. I have all these stories. Like you said, they want, you know, they're dying to tell you their favorite college radio story. And it's been no trouble to get people involved that want to talk. Artists are different, you know, depending on their level of fame and depending on how busy they are and depending on if they're on tour, that's a tougher sell, obviously. And it gets easier as you go because you can kind of go down the list of, well, we've talked to Joey Santiago from the Pixies and we talked to Allison Wolf of Bratmobile and they're like, oh, okay, well that, you know, that starts to open doors and then that opens doors and it kind of starts to roll. But that's kind of the challenge. And that's one of the reasons we're doing the Kickstarter is that, you know, getting to people both in college radio and artists means travel. It means, you know, trying to get schedules to align. It means pulling crews together and getting them in the right place at the right time. So it's a little more difficult than shooting a documentary about kind of like a static subject or or something that just takes place in one place. It kind of forces us to be a little more flexible and to move a lot. And, and sometimes that's tough. You're based in Spain. Now you get to come back, meaning people networking, building this documentary. It's true. Yeah. Like when I, you know, when you're in college radio, a lot of time, especially, you know, when we were in college radio in the early nineties, there was no internet really. So you weren't really networking or meeting people from other college stations. You kind of were in your bubble. It's been fascinating to meet and talk to people from all these different stations and find out a, how similar their experiences were to ours, even though that, you know, we never met, even though we were all the way across the country, but then also those little differences in terms of how their station was set up, or, you know, some of them are freeform stations. Uh, the station you and I worked at was very, you know, it was programmed. It was meant to be kind of indicative of like what a real FM station would be like. So that's been really fun. And then meeting those other people that were involved, like, you know, record label reps that, that dealt with college radio stations. Uh, that's a whole different story. It's a whole different perspective. And that's kind of what we want to do in the film is 
reach beyond, you know, the obvious things of talking to DJs and talking to people who worked in college radio. That's a critical part of the story. But there are other perspectives that we didn't really experience being in it can really help flesh that story out and, and make it even more fascinating just, just to realize like how big a deal it was to so many people. Director of the upcoming documentary, 35,000 Watts, Mike Millard joined us beyond the mic. Mike, who are some of the people that you want to get in touch with to make 35,000 Watts even better for the fans? I mean, first on my list, and this is a, it's a little selfish because this is also my favorite band in the world and always has been, but you know, to me, REM is the quintessential college radio band. So to be able to sit down with like Michael Stipe, or Mike Mills or Peter Buck or Bill Berry and talk even guys like Jefferson Holt or Burtis Downs, you know, that were just, that were part of their, you know, their entourage or whatever, if you want to call it and just find out what their experience was like. How did they feel about what was happening? How did they see college radio and how it fit into their plan for, for the band, I think would be fascinating, you know, cause it's a subject where even a band like REM that's done probably thousands of interviews, you know, they've, they've talked about it a little bit, but to really drill down into that and get their perspective would be great. There's people, you know, like the founder of CMJ, Bobby, who I have emailed with and I'm trying to talk, you know, talk him into talking to us because that's a perspective. I mean, CMJ was critical to forming like a nationwide kind of culture that was college radio. Because again, you had all these college radio stations that kind of operated in bubbles. They didn't necessarily have easy ways to network with each other. CMJ was one of the first ways that it kind of brought that together into more of a national scene and to more of a unified culture, even though every station always had its uniqueness. That would be a conversation I would love to have. David Letterman would be one of the top of my list because I mean, A, he's freaking David Letterman. But he started in college radio. You know, he donated a building to Ball State to the Mass Comm Department because of how important it was to his career. And if you listen to some of the early tapes from him on college radio, you can you can already hear his humor and his genius coming out at that point. So to talk to him about that experience would be fascinating. So that's those are some of the people that are at the top of my list. But it's a long list. So people don't understand what CMJ is. Explain <laughs> what CMJ did back in the 1990s. So CMJ is the College Music Journal, and they basically were kind of the first publication that focused on college radio and focused on reaching out to stations, gathering their playlist, turning that into a, a chart, you know, just like the Billboard charts did for, for pop radio and for commercial radio, as well as starting the New Music Marathon, which was a kind of a, a convention slash music festival kind of thing that happened in New York every year, which uh, I unfortunately never got to go to, but I've talked to people, you know, that were in college radio that did and talked to artists that did. And that was kind of a big meeting point, a great place for people to come to one location, talk college radio, meet and hear new artists, exchange ideas. And that wasn't really happening before CMJ. Now we have, you know, people like the College Radio Foundation that are doing College Radio Day and World College Radio Day and Vinylthon and all these cool things that that wasn't going on when we were there. CMJ was kind of it. Even though they're not really around anymore, they kind of still exist in a, in a different form. But, the, you know, the publication is gone. And, uh, and that's kind of a shame because it was fascinating to read. I was always excited when we got the new, new issue. And they, they played such a big role that I think they deserve to get that recognition. You might be a friend, but it's time for the Rocky Nate. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure, Mike. Oh, boy. Ben, you first thought of playing, but delayed for one reason or another. Oh, man, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I remember getting 
things like the new when when Nine Inch Nails Broken came out and wanting to play it, but we couldn't just because we we had to make like you know edited versions of it. So that that was probably if if there's anything, it's a it's a band that probably just pushed the boundaries too far in my opinion. That I was afraid we'd scare Dr. K or scare the administration. But that's the only one that I can remember having in my hand and being like, oh, I want to put this on the air, but I can't. I have to go make a a version of this that we can play. So that's the only one that jumps to my head. What's one piece of old memorabilia you have from your KTXT FM? I have a retro radio t-shirt that my mom saved for me. Thank goodness. Cause I'm terrible with that kind of stuff. I have very little memorabilia, but uh, I was back in Texas last year and my mom was like, look what I found. And she had a retro radio shirt. So I was super excited. Yeah. Super excited. What would old faculty advisor, Dr. Clive Kinghorn, think of this project? I think he would love it. He would have been my first interview. He would have been my first call <laughs> because of his importance in, in my life and, and everybody's life that came through KCXT and just his spirit and his ability to deal with all the <laughs> crazy stuff he had to deal with and his genius in terms of letting you have just enough rope to like do your thing. You never felt like you were on a tight leash. You felt like you were running the station, but he kept you right within the guardrails of what was acceptable, you know, just a a great guy all around. And I I think he would be super proud of this. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to take photos in Spain? Uh, My home, my home here is Granada and there's multiple, what they call a, you know, Mirador, which is a viewpoint and Granada's tucked up in the hills. So there's a few great viewpoints where just the city, the snow-capped mountains, the Alhambra, which is this beautiful thousand-year-old palace. Man, I could sit and take pictures all day. Like it's, you know, morning time and then sunset and then more, like it's all just, it's all good. (laughs) What drains your energy really fast? Uh, Social interactions in a group of people that I don't know well. Why? I don't know. It's funny. I think of myself as an introvert and my wife is always like, well, you do, you're so personable and like you do great and you're in a group. But I'm like, yeah, but when I get home, I feel like I'm just, I'm on empty, you know, like I have to plug in and recharge. And when I know the people, it's better. But if I'm in a group of like, you know, six or eight people, we're all having dinner and I don't really know people. It just feels like it takes every ounce of energy to do that. And, and I, and to this day, I don't know why that's just, it's just how I am. What's one thing people don't know about you that they would be surprised to find out? I once sold shoelaces in downtown Las Vegas on Fremont Street. (laughs) True story. In 97, I lived in Las Vegas and I was working a job just in a mall. Uh, I I went there to to continue my DJ career and and that didn't really happen. And I was working in a mall trying to find a real job. And somebody approached me and was like, hey, we have these carts and we sell these shoelaces you never tie. And there were these magical shoelaces that were like a phone cord, you know, that were kind of like coiled. And you just like would run through your shoes and pull them and pop and they would, you know. So there was this cart in in right in front of the Vegas club in downtown uh, Las Vegas. And I would work from like 6 p.m. till midnight or 1 a.m. selling shoelaces to drunk people. What do you prefer to buy secondhand? Uh, camera equipment, camera equipment and lenses and stuff. Like if you, um, if you look at the specs and really do your research these days, especially like technology has gotten so good that you can get a camera from five years ago. And as long as it's obviously in good shape, you can save a ton of money and get like this 
high quality, great camera or, or, you know, or video camera for that matter. I mean, that's some of the documentary is shot on a, a camera I bought secondhand, but it's amazing. So yeah, don't waste your money on a brand new camera. Look, look for a used camera. It'll, it'll save you a ton. Mike, if you had an extra hour in each day, how would you spend it? Wow. These days working on the film, but if I had an extra hour just in life, wow, that's a great question. I would probably exercise more because that's always the thing that I feel like I, I don't squeeze in. Like that's the, the thing at the end of my list that it's like, I squeeze it in if I have time for it, but it's probably the most important thing that I should be doing. So if I if gifted an hour, then I'd have to say, okay, I'm going to use that hour to exercise. If you're enjoying these conversations, please check out another beyond the mic episode to find more actors, artists, and people you need to know. We'd also appreciate a like and subscribe on the good pods app. Talking to the documentary director, Mike Millard, from 35,000 watts beyond the mic. It's time for the back half. What's your favorite memory you haven't told from college radio? Ooh, good question. My favorite memory is uh, we had Anything Box, which was kind of like a new wave, kind of erasure type band, erasure, you know, Pet Shop Boys electronic band. We had them in the station. They came in. They were super cool. We did an interview. And then they were like, hey, we're hungry. Uh, what can we do? And I was like, you know, there's this African food restaurant in this club down on, uh, down just right across from the campus. And we, so I took them to the kitchen club. We had a Tarango, which was, you know, the, the African restaurant that was there. They needed hairspray because they had that real, like, Robert Smith hair going. So, like, we, I drove them to United and got them hairspray. And then I took them to the venue. And they were like, hey, do you want to introduce us on stage? I, I was like, of course. I hopped up on stage and a DJ from a commercial station was up in the DJ booth and started doing like an introduction because I think they were actually sponsoring the show. And about halfway through his introduction, they cut his mic, turned my mic on. And I was able to like, then do my introduction as the 88.1 KTXT guy. And I brought the band on and they like, you know, came out, gave me a hug. It was, it was really, it was really fun. I think you probably remember, you know, there was always oh, yeah. that. Now you're on the other side of it now, but there was that kind of rivalry a little bit between the commercial stations and KTXT. So that was, that was a pretty sweet moment of just kind of like, yeah, we, we got, we got that one. We won that round. So that was fun. College radio had to transform. They went from carts and records to CDs and now computers. There were several vinyl I remember seeing in the old studios that, because of language, had stickers put on them, scratched so you couldn't play them. Yeah, you physically stop people from playing stuff. How has technology helped you with this project? Oh, man, this there's no way this happens without technology. You know, I'm living in Spain doing, you know, Zoom meetings with my production team in L.A., going out and and being able to acquire the video that we did for you know a, a fraction of the cost of what it would have cost 20 years ago at super high quality and then to be able to bring that all home on a tiny little hard drive plug it into a laptop and start editing all of that was just beyond the reach of of the average person you know 10 or 20 years ago everything about this project has been a- enabled by you know technology and the ability and and the and the the falling price of technology as well, because I am far from (laughs) independently wealthy or anything like that. But it's cool that because of that, that trend that, you know, technology gets cheaper and more powerful, people like me can now go out and start a project like this. Now, obviously the reason we're doing a Kickstarter is because it's hard to do an entire film on a basically non-existent budget. It should encourage people to, to go out and get started because it's, it's possible now you can, you can do all those things for, Again, a fraction of what it would have cost most people, you know, back in the day. 
Now, 35,000 Watts is working with the Film Collaborative to make this project work. What do they do and how do they make it easier for you? So the Film Collaborative is is a group that uh, offers a, a couple different services. They obviously have a ton of experience, so you can just tap into that knowledge base and get advice and, and actually talk to someone who's been there before. They act as a fiscal sponsor for us, which means that they collect the funds as a 5013C, and so all the donations through the Kickstarter are tax deductible, which is really nice. That's important to a lot of people. And then once the film is made, they also are able to help with distribution, and it's just about, you know, at that point, it's just about networking and connections and meeting the, meeting the right person who's going to really dig your film and is going to kind of understand what you're going for and can help you get it out there into the world. So yeah, they're good. They've, they've been helpful uh, giving advice already, and they will probably continue to be helpful as we move forward. Director of 35,000 Watch, Mike Millard, joins us beyond the mic. Mike, if someone would give to this Kickstarter, what do you want them to see when the final cut comes out? You know, I guess it depends on the on the audience. Like if it's someone that was in college radio, I kind of hope that they see themselves, you know, that they watch <laughs> the film and they recognize. And, we, and we've heard a little bit of that even from the teaser of like, did you guys actually film at my station or do they all just look, you know, they look so similar. It's like they saw themselves, they saw their own station. So that was, that's really cool. If you weren't in college radio, then I would love for you to see just the impact that it had on people, whether you, you know, even if you weren't in college radio, there's a good chance that one of the bands that you love or one of the celebrities that you like maybe got their start there and kind of got gained their confidence and gained their voice and, and gained what they needed to go out in the world and, and have the confidence to be that person, whatever, whoever that person is. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I'd love for college radio people to see themselves and I'd love for people that weren't in college radio just to see how important it was to everybody. How has Maggie and John helped you with the project and how did they react when you pitched them? Uh, that's a good question. So Maggie uh, was there at the beginning and she and I were actually working on a, on a different project. We were working on developing some, a couple TV show ideas that we had. And one day we were just talking about doing a, a documentary and you know, I said, you know, the thing I'm really passionate about is college radio. And she knew not much about it at all. And what was fun is as I was talking about it, she didn't really key in on what I was saying. She keyed in on how excited I was about it. And she was like, I can just tell by the way you're talking about it that you're super passionate. Yeah. And that's, that's how you want to start a documentary. You want to go into it being super passionate because it takes so much work and effort. If you're not super passionate, you're probably not going to get there. But she recognized that. And she was realizing that she was enjoying hearing me talk about it. And that would translate well, you know, so that meant that people that weren't into college radio might also be interested in it. So then she's like, you know what? I've worked with this guy who's super great and he was in college radio. I bet he would be into it. And that is John Bernstein. And so when he came in, that brought a whole other level of passion because he is super passionate about college radio. And he, it just, he loves music. He loves the culture. And having those two experienced filmmakers to kind of guide me, but also share that passion and, and jump in and, and get me excited about it. And one of, you know, if one of us is struggling, the other one will kind of get enthusiastic and bring us up. So it's just, it's good to have a team and it's good to have people that are into it and it's good to have uh, different perspectives. That's what we've kind of managed to build that team that has that, which is, um, which is really cool. Very helpful. What three things have you done since graduation from Texas Tech you're most proud of? Good question. One of the things that I was proud of that really didn't take off is I got into internet radio for a while and it, it was more, you know, as a personal project 
and it was prohibitively expensive to make it really work. But I was really, it was fun to build something from scratch. It was one of the first projects that I really put, you know, my heart and soul into and, and tried to, to make something from zero. And, you know, I think people out there will kind of identify with that, that even if something's not successful, the first time you really build a project and see people at least enjoying it a little bit, that's, that's pretty cool. The second one I think is meeting my wife, Tracy, and, and really embracing this kind of like exciting, adventurous thing that we do. Like we, we love to travel. We've done, you know, a lot of amazing trips and we, we bought a van and traveled around the country and that, and now we live in Spain. So I'm happy and proud of, (laughs) I'm proud of myself for kind of being willing to get out of my comfort zone, which I was real, I was a real comfort zone guy for a long time. Getting out of that mode and, and saying yes to stuff and just being willing to take you know, adventures is, is for sure something that I'm happy and proud of. And then you know, the obvious answer, I guess, is, is the doc. I mean, it's way harder than I thought it was going to be. And Maggie even warned me, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a long, long process and every bit of it is, I don't want to say a struggle, but it, you know, if you're not, if you, if you as the director and kind of the, the main creative force behind a project, if you're not getting up every day and getting into it and pushing the team forward and stuff, it's not going to go anywhere. No one is going to pick this up for me and take the ball and run with it. So it's, it's already this kind of just getting up and being super motivated every day and self-motivated to do it. And then there are just those little struggles, like, you know, trying to get music rights for the teaser was a real struggle. It's, we had a tiny, tiny budget and we wanted to be, you know, perfectly, we didn't want to try to do it, you know, the wrong way. We wanted to go out and license the songs and have it all, you know, the T's crossed and the dies dotted, but that took months. And like, we wanted to launch this Kickstarter months ago, but like it took forever to get bands to approve and then get the rights holders to approve. And like, you just have to keep fighting for that kind of stuff. And there's, there's multiple things like that, that you deal with on a daily basis. So it is hard. If, if you watch a documentary, just know that the people behind it probably worked really, really, really hard for probably several years to make that doc happen. Other than the documentary, what do you do for a living? I was, uh, you know, I was in radio for a while. I DJed for a while, but then my experience with the internet radio station also came along with experience with web development and I taught myself web development. So for the last, you know, 15 or 20 years, I've mainly been a web developer as, as my, you know, as my day job. I quit that last year so I could work on the doc full time. You know, as you said, I, do, I dabble in photography and, and travel videos and, and stuff like that. But this is definitely the first time that I kind of decided I'm going all in on a project. And so I, and, and I was ready for a change. I was, I'm, I'm just kind of ready to get out of it. So so I am no longer a web developer, or a professional web developer. That was what I did for, from you know, the majority of my adult life, actually. And that's the challenge of keeping stations alive and having a champion. That's such a common thing with these stations. What we're what we're seeing when we talk to people, the uh, the stations that have a a champion like Dr. K, you know, who's been there for years and will stand up for the station and stand up for the students. Those are the the stations that are still on the air and haven't sold their license and haven't, you know, transitioned to like streaming only or whatever. It's not, you know, not always. Um, there are other ones where the you know, students have just fought and fought and fought to keep it alive. But I would say like the biggest indicator of the success and longevity of a college radio station is having someone there that cares and, and can shepherd it through those rough times and is consistent because 
college radio is so ephemeral. You know, the college college kids are going to come and go every few years, and the staff turns over, and it's really easy for the administration to take advantage of that. So you need those kinds of people like the Dr. K's of the world or like Erica Tyrone, who's in, who's in the teaser and will be in the film from KSPC in Claremont, uh, California. She's been there for, I think, 20 something years. And that consistency has made that a fantastic, consistent station that has a huge listenership and a huge, just a, a huge group of people who would riot in the streets if they try to shut it down, you know, but it's because they have that kind of consistency and, and the stations that don't have it are are in jeopardy, you know. It's time for one big question with director Mike Millard from 35,000 Watts Documentary Beyond the Mic. If you could bring back one college era show that you didn't host for one day, what would it be? Oh, FUBAR Radio with Rob Meadows. Yeah. FUBAR Radio. Those guys... <laughs> I don't know. It kind of defies description. So Rob was a friend of mine. They came on after Retro Radio, and it was just. And I, you know what? I'm I'm dying because I can't remember his co-host. I know Rob, it was Rob and um, his co-host, but they just they had that like that spark where it didn't just sound like two college kids kind of fumbling around like they were legitimately funny. You know what I mean? And and you remember this? There were people at KTXT and every station who were, you know, they were DJs and they were all right. At, and then there were people who you were like, oh man, those guys, that guy's going to go somewhere. Or like that, those guys have got it. For whatever reason, them as a comedy team just really worked. And it was like the 10 to one late night kind of shift. So it just fit their time slot perfectly. Uh, people love them. And I, yeah, I just, I used to love listening to those guys. So if I could bring back a, a, a show, it, it would be FUBAR radio for sure. Where can people find this Kickstarter? So if you go to the Kickstarter page, you'll see a teaser, you know, and, and so it's kind of like a trailer. That is not the film, you know, that's not like an edited version of the film. That is just the first few interviews that we were able to do on the budget that we had. And we wanted to kind of show people, you know, me being a first time filmmaker in particular, we felt like if we went to Kickstarter with just an idea, it wasn't going to be enough. So we wanted to go out and do some interviews and come back and put it together and show people, this is kind of what we envision this looking like. So you can actually kind of see it and listen to it and experience it. But understand that like the film hasn't been made. You know, we have so many stations we want to go visit. We have so many artists we want to talk to. And, and then those other people that, that we've talked about, like the CMJ folks or record reps or whatever. So we need people to come and support the film so that we can go and and do that travel and get the camera screws together and get these stories on film before they disappear forever. Uh, I know that's a big thing with you in terms of recording stories and making sure they're preserved because it, every single day you lose something, right? Like every day somebody moves out of their house and throws a box of stuff away or every day somebody passes away and those stories pass away with them. So we really want to try to get out and capture as much of that as we can. And in the spirit of that, we've also partnered with uh, the Radio Preservation Task Force, which is a task force part of the Library of Congress. Jennifer Waits from SpinningIndy.com and uh, Dr. Catherine Jewell, who's, written, who's writing a book about college radio that should come out next year, are part of that task force. And I reached out to them and said, hey, you know, we're collecting all these materials so we want to make sure that if even if they don't make it in the film, that they're preserved in a way that other people can enjoy them in the future. So it's about the Kickstarter and it's about making money that we can use to 
to go make the film, but it's also about reaching out to people and just saying, Hey, if you have stories, if you have photos, if you have air checks, that's contributing to the film too. You know, maybe you don't have money, but if you have some really cool photos from your time in college radio, that's just as good for us because we want to have that in the film potentially. And we definitely want to have it preserved so that 20 years from now or 30 years from now, you can still go and see that stuff and enjoy that stuff and see it in the context of this thing that is college radio. Yeah, we, we, we were asking for contributions in terms of money, but we're also asking for people to just contribute anything they have, their memories and their stories. Mike, how many hours of tape do you already have in the can, and how many do you feel you need to fully make this project out? Uh, we've shot 12, 13 interviews so far, plus B-roll and stuff. So we've probably shot about like 20 hours of, of tape. Probably like 150 minimum. You know, we'd like to do probably 60 or 70 more interviews. And then obviously, uh, when we visit stations, it's so much fun to go around and just shoot the B roll because every station has like that door that's plastered with stickers that you just have to get. And like the studios, you know, are always really super interesting and they have little doodads and, and stuff that, that are specific to, you know, that have meaning to that particular station. So, you know, we'd love to at least shoot in probably five or six different locations. We'd love to shoot in Boston. We'd love to shoot in Athens, Georgia. We'd love to shoot in the Pacific Northwest. There's, you know, the Chicago area. There's all these places we want to go, and there's all these people we want to talk to. Ultimately, you got to draw the line somewhere. So, you know, you could do it forever, and it would probably be fun to do that. But I would suspect that, yeah, we're, we've only shot maybe 10% of the film at this point. He loves taking pictures in Granada, once sold shoelaces on Fremont Street. We thank director of 35,000 Watts, The Story of College Radio, Mike Millard, for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate you having me on. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. <laughs>